my heart. My great-grandparents are my heroes. I look, look to them. They're the, the, old, the real Christian example of my life. My mom rededicated her life. I was about 12, I guess. But my great-grandparents, my mama and my papa, were the greatest influence. They were my heroes. I, I, they, I, I, they raised me, pretty much. I lived out there with them. And I wanted to be like them. Even when I knew I wasn't doing, I knew they were the kind of people that, that you, were, you were supposed to be like. Amen. They lived for God, and their life showed that. And I had such a simple desire. I wanted a godly family. That's it. I said, Lord, I want to. I was so excited about having a home where God was a sinner. My parents were divorced, had good parents. Even in that separation, I, my dad was a good dad, best he could have been in the capacity that he had. But I, I was so thankful to know that that curse was broke with me. Amen. All the hair, all, everything behind me, that it started here, right here, that curse is broke. Amen. And I thank God for that. I wanted a godly heritage. I wanted for my I wanted a godly family. That's that's it. Well, God gave me the desires of my heart. Amen. I married way up when I got married. God gave me a revelation on my wedding day. My wife got me one of the greatest gifts that you ever could have been given. She gave me an altar for one, a homemade altar, had our family name on it. Prohaska family all brought that to me an altar. I said, well, I know I married the right woman. Well, I know whenever I found her, I asked a guy about her. I seen her. She come to college. We was, I was already in. I, I re-enrolled in school just so I, I knew she was there. I, I, I had just actually re-enrolled back in college. To, to The Lord told me to finish that degree. He'd opened the door of ministry for me. But I believe it was more than that. I met my wife in that time. I just saw her, and I asked a guy that I knew somehow might have known who she was through church and whatnot. And he said, well, Jeremy, I'll tell you this. Her idea of a good time is going to a revival. I said, that's my kind of woman. That's who I need to marry right there. I knew everything else was in place. And I just said, well, if that's what she is, and surely we must be meant to be. And so God gave me better than I deserved. She gave me that altar. But she also gave me a commitment she made when she was a little girl. And inside that card with that ring of promise that she gave to the Lord, gave herself, she said, wrote, me, wrote a whole letter. She said, I've, I've saved the greatest thing I could have saved. I consecrated my life to God. And here's what I'm, I'm giving you. This purity and this, this commitment to the Lord. I've had no other man. I've been, waited. I've been praying my whole life for you. And I, I want to tell you that I didn't deserve that. But God spoke to my heart. I'm there. There's pictures. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm in tears over just the moment. You know how it is. You're emotional on that day anyways. And God said to me, he said, I do not treat you as your sins deserve. Amen. See, friends, he knoweth our frame. He remembers that we're from the dust. And when there's genuine repentance of life, change, then I can tell you, Jesus as far as the east is from the west. Folks, he really does make all things new. And all things are of God. Aren't you thankful for that? Amen. God gave me what I, I didn't deserve. But he gave me a heritage. He's given me a godly family. And the Bible says his mercy is to thousands of generations. Amen. Isn't it wonderful? I praise God for that. He's done it all, folks. If not for grace... Where would we be? I wouldn't be here tonight. But by his grace, I stand before you.
Amen. Nehemiah chapter 3 tonight. Going to read two verses there and also one verse in Hebrews chapter 12. Verse number 1. Once you find your place, if you could stand with me for the reading of the Word of God. Once again, so wonderful to see all of you. Thank you for your commitment to revival. Many of you have been here already every service. Thank you for your giving. I know the Lord receives that as worship. We've had meals provided. We've had everything just the highest form of hospitality. And I just honor Pastor Jacob, Sister Carolyn, all that have participated. Brother Corey, Sister Haley. We've been very taken care of. Sister uh, Carolyn, boy, she whipped up some cinnamon rolls and I put them right into the ministry. Can you say amen? <laughs> Hallelujah. Nehemiah chapter 3, verse number 13. Bible says, The valley gate repaired Hanun and the inhabitants of Zenoa. They built it. Set up the doors thereof, and the locks thereof, and the bars thereof. A thousand cubits on the wall unto the dung gate. Verse 14 says, But the dung gate repaired Malchiah, the son of Rechab, the ruler of the part of beth Aksarim. He built it, set up the doors thereof, the locks thereof, and the bars thereof. I want to read Hebrews chapter 12. And verse number 1 for a text as well. Probably quoted, I'm sure. But we're going to read it together. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. And let us run with patience The race that is set before us. Now, I want to highlight our verse in Nehemiah for our text or for the title of our message tonight. And I want to preach on this thought. Repairing the dung gate. Repairing the dung gate. Would you pray and ask the Lord to help me tonight? Amen. Go to the preaching of the word. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to be in your house. Once again, Lord, we do not take for granted one moment... God, you're not wasting our time. The hour's too late. God, I do believe that you have, Lord, something for us here tonight. God, something divine, something in a way, Lord, that would make us more like you, that would help us, deliver us, God, and that would move us closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that we would have ears to hear it, Lord. I ask you to plow up the fallow ground of our hearts. God, I just bind every hindrance in the name of Jesus. God, every lying spirit, I rebuke you in Jesus' name. And I pray that the word of God would have free course. That you would make my tongue the pen of a ready writer. That you would confirm your word with signs following. That you alone would get the glory for it. In Jesus' mighty name. And the church said, Amen. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord. Preaching to you on repairing the dung gate. Now, in the text tonight, we're introduced right to this specific gate. I want you to know that it shouldn't take much of an imagination to realize what the purpose of this gate was. The dung gate was the place where all of the trash, all of the refuse, and all of the undesirable things went through on its way to the outside of the city. There was a man highlighted in the text. His name is Malchiah. 
He is the one the scripture said repaired the dung gate. His name means God is my king. Most of the time, there was more than one when it came to the repairing of a gate. But if you know anything about this gate, it was not the most desirable job. And so for someone to repair such a gate would take one who God is his king and one who was a faithful man. You see, Nehemiah, in the scripture, we know that there were ten gates in the book of Nehemiah. There was the fountain gate, the water gate, the horse gate, the east gate, the inspection gate, the sheep gate, the fish gate, the old gate, the valley gate, and finally the dung gate. Now when you study out each gate, you will find that there are great spiritual truths that not only pertain to the believer individually, but to the church corporately as well. But tonight, there's only time to highlight one of these gates. There are others that may be rather talked about. You might would rather hear of the water gate and how that it represents the Word of God. You might want to hear about the east gate and how it represents the rapture of the church. Or possibly even the fish gate, which is, I believe, a type of world evangelism. But the gate of our choosing tonight may seem less appealing, but I can assure you that it is very critical to ministry peace, to spiritual health, and to the true growth of the church. Amen. It's important for us to know that Nehemiah mentions the dung gate four more times than he does any other gate. And when you look at the book of Nehemiah, we mentioned it the other night, we realized that the city of Jerusalem during his ministry was in a state of debris and wreckage and of rubble. It says in Nehemiah 1 and 3, they said to me, the remnant that are left of the captivity there in the province are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down and the gates thereof are burned with fire. This tells us that Jerusalem in its poor condition was not only a misrepresentation of God because it was in a pile of rubbish and that rubbish had to be removed for any new construction to begin. For them to change the testimony, things had to be taken out of the way. The memories of those failures had to go. The trash, the debris, the pile up of stuff had to get outside the city before new construction could ever begin. And this is where the bearer of burdens came into play. The bearer of burdens ministry was to move throughout the city and to remove all the waste through the dung gate. So they went throughout the city removing everything that was not beneficial to the sanitation, to the growth, and to the health of the people. Now one could only imagine what it would have been like 
for those bearers of burdens to not be in their place. I don't have time to highlight the importance of the ministry of the bearer of burdens, but I want you to know their ministry was vital and critical. It may not have been a desirable place in the church, but it sure was a critical place, and it was very important. Without the ministry of the bearer of burdens, the stench and death would have been unbearable. Disease, no doubt, would have been setting in and affecting the people. It says in verse number 10 of chapter 4, Judah said, the strength of the bearer of burdens is decayed and there is much rubbish so that we are not able to build the wall. You can see how important this ministry was. It's a dirty work, brother. It's a messy work. You got to get your hands down in the rubbish. You got to get your hands down in the trash. You got to get in some conversations you may not want to get in. You got to deal with some situations you may not want to deal with. You got to face some ugly truths about your own heart and about your own life and about your own testimony. You got to get at the table with people and hash out some of the mess that you know has been transpiring in, in the church and in your life. It's not a desirable thing. For the most part, we want to avoid it. But I can tell you this. This ministry is so vital that the work of God will never continue without it. Can you say amen? We need some bearer of burdens in this hour. People that are willing to face the hard conversations of life. I found most people would rather retreat than to deal head on with the hard truths of life. Let's break out the Bible, brother. Let's just see what the Lord has to say really about it. We're not just going to pretend like this all merges together and it's just going to go along to get along. No, friend, there has to be some stuff moved out of the way if we're going to go on. We can't just allow the rocks have wreckage to lay around our homes and our churches and think that we're going to go on with the Lord without it. We've got to face the facts that stuff's been piling up. Are you listening to me? And what's interesting to me is the first group of people that noticed that things were backing up was the tribe of Judah. And if you know anything about the tribe of Judah, Judah means praise. You know what that tells me? It tells me that you cannot adequately praise the Lord when there is trash in your life. I said you cannot begin to praise the Lord when there's dung in your life and there's dung in the church. I always know there's something happening in that service long before I ever get to the pulpit because I can feel it in the worship, brother, and nobody can tell you more than those that are trying to lead you into the presence of the Lord. You feel the weight. You feel the heaviness of the atmosphere. You say, what's going on? I know what's going on. There's some stuff piled up in the house, and I just about want to just get the mic and say, let's cut the song off and let's deal with the rubbish so we can move on with the Lord. I want to tell you when the thing's dragging along, we'd be better off to find an altar of prayer somewhere so that we don't waste three or four songs when we can't get through because there's too much junk piled up in our life. There's too much stuff piled up. I want you to know 
that we cannot move on in our worship when things are piled up. I know that it's time to get to the gate. Amen. Let's just open the altar up as you're listening to me. That's why the altar with me is always open. Amen. Because if you need to get to the dung gate, get there. Because time's too short for you to carry that bad attitude through the whole song service. You see, any time that the dung gate becomes an unused gate, then the building and the work and the labor of God always come to a halt. You want to stop a revival? Let things pile up. You want to stop a move of God? Let some things pile up. Let that stuff pile up. Keep that in your heart for a while. Keep that odd in your heart towards your brother or sister. You harbor that. You can sit in as many church services as you want to. Keep that in your heart. You're backing up the thing. And God's got a controversy with you, not with anybody. He's got it with you because you're holding the thing up. Are you listening? You, you allow that to pile up in your heart. You can keep that attitude, that bitterness, and you can keep that rejection or whatever it may be. You can keep that and no doubt you'll hinder the flow of God every time. Not just in your life, but in the life of other people. If you want to be defeated by the AIs of life, just hide some stuff under that tent that you don't think nobody knows about and you'll hinder not just you and your family, you'll hinder everybody from moving on with the Lord. Now I know that it takes a lot of work at times to get things to the gate, but it's important that we get it there no matter how difficult it is are you listening no matter how difficult it is no matter what kind of pride you got to swallow no matter how hard it may be to face it I can tell you it's not going away until you face the thing it ain't going to disappear in the sweet by and by no folks we got got to be able to deal I know it's not easy to get there at times but it's important that we it's vital and critical that we do get there it may take a lot of work, but when we get there, it'll be worth it all. You see, the building and the work of God immediately came to a halt when the bearer of burdens become weak. This is a tactic of the enemy to weaken the hands of the ministry that would carry out the stuff that would keep the flow of God going. The enemy always seeks to weaken the hands of any kind of a ministry because he knows how vital it is to the church. Now I know that burdens of life are very real and they can become heavy. I will not negate the fact that there are realities of burdens in life. And while we are called to bear one another's burden, it's important that we understand this. Bearing one another's burden does not mean that we carry those things all over the town all over the church, all over our home, all over our job. Are you listening to me? Bearing another burden does not mean you tote that around in the Sunday school class and tell everybody about the mess that's going on. Are you listening? I'm telling you, it's not something to be aired out all over the house of God. It means 
take that burden and we got to get it to the only place where it can be rightfully dealt with. To bear one another's burden means I carry that burden right to the altar of prayer. I take that burden right into the dung gate and deal with it right there. I know most of us would agree that in our own human natures, we're pretty good about making messes. I never needed a lot of help from the devil to create my own mess. And if you were honest, you would say the same thing. I've learned that a lot of Pentecostal folks like a good mess to meddle around in. Every once in a while, I want to drink water. I want you to think while I'm doing it. I've been in the church long enough to know that Pentecostal folk like a good mess to meddle around in. Say amen or owe me one the other, but it doesn't take away the fact that that's a known truth. I'm going to tell you that this should not be the testimony of our church, and it should not be the testimony of our life. I want you to know there's only one place to get that mess, and that's the dung gate. And I want to tell you. It's time to stop carrying it around. And when you are, you're stinking up the whole house. I've seen a lot of of mess carried through. I've seen them quiet conversations in the foyers of the church or in a back Sunday school room somewhere. And I've seen the mess carried all throughout the house of God parading itself around on a Sunday morning. And the aroma of that mess is everywhere. I said the aroma of that mess is everywhere. But the thing is, that's not God's plan at all for our life. My God, saints, it's time for us to get up and to grow up and to begin to put things where they be. It's time to drop it off, friend. I said it's time to get rid of it so that you can move on and your family can move on and the church can move on. Say hallelujah if you believe You see, Nehemiah was very aware that the work of God would never continue with that stuff in the way. He understood that a move of God is never going to continue or even take place at all in a church if things do not get removed at times. Amen. Life has a way of piling up stuff, don't it? Amen. I'm sure. Very well, you might have picked up a little something on your job today. Amen. You might have got around some carnal people today. You might have been listening to a gossiping voice today. Amen. How many of you know people do lie? My dad was in the car business. Now, I know car salesmen, nobody in that business lies. But I, but I tell you, um, I, you know what I'm saying? My, my dad, he had a hard time with me. He said, Jeremy, tell him I'm outside. I said, you ain't outside. I said, you're right here. He, he said, tell him I can't, I, I can't make it to the phone. I'm out there with a the customer. I said, you're not, though. I said, it's a lie. Dad, he said, oh, I can't tell him, have him to do anything. I said, Dad, if I said, go out there on that parking lot, and I'll tell him he's out on the lot, and he can't make it to the phone right now. I said, but I'm not lying. I just don't operate in that. But he said, he said son, customers do. <laughs> yeah. Amen. 
I don't know how I got into this, and we're going to go somewhere spiritual here in just a minute. He said, they do lie, son. I'm telling you, my dad was the best of this world. I'm telling you, he, he, could, he could close a deal better than anyone. I, he could outsell anyone I, I've ever seen. He made a good living at what he did. But I tell you this, I learned some things in there. And what I wanted, my dad, the thing I did like that he knew is, Jeremy, don't lie. Amen. I just said, I said, Dad, listen, I just can't, I can't live in that gray area. Well, you know, you thought that if it can work out there like that, it ought to work in the church. But I found out there's a lot of forked tongues sitting on Pentecostal pews. They talk out both sides of their mouth, and when they say one thing, they're telling the truth, and I hardly wonder whether they know they're lying or not. I wonder if there's demon-possessed or something. I said, how in the world? You're a liar. Don't you know that liars will have their part in the lake of fire? Now you think that would be a very, I mean, what, I mean, you know, we just, what do we just need to go back to the Ten Commandments or what? Folks, it's a sin to lie. And a deception is a lie. A deception is a half truth. And if you're deceiving, you're a liar. And I don't care what people say. If you lie, you go to hell, brother. That's the word of God. It's a shame to think you can't hardly trust what's even been said at times in the own house of God. How the devil has so deceived or something. I thought you're talking out both sides of your mouth. Are you listening to me? I'm just telling you that it should not. That is something that's going to pile a mile high, folks. Keep a move of God going in that kind of a mess. That is God to be dealt with. Those things will back up and hinder more than anything. And if there's anything piled up in that heart, it's a hindrance not only to you but everybody else. It stops the flow. You can say, well, it's my own deal. It ain't your deal. we, We have such a selfish attitude. In the church, and we think it's grace. It ain't grace. Grace prefers his brother. Grace cares about what the effects of it is on others. Well, I'm going to do me. Well, you do you. But just know you doing you is impacting everybody else. You can say it's your own body. You can say it's your own life. You can say what you want. But this is a body, friend. You've been bought with a price. You do not belong to yourself. And we twisted the whole thing around to, to, to make it fit our own agenda. I've watched that, folks. And then cloak the thing in grace. I'm wearing my grace. You know, I found out some of the most prideful, the, the greatest pride sometimes wearing a coat of grace. Ain't nothing more subtle than that, brother. You can't pin that thing down. Why? It looks so gentle. But I can tell you, you get it in the crosshairs, it'll get violent, brother. Are you listening to me? I know it can can mask itself around like it would never hurt a fly. But I'll tell you what, folks. I've seen that thing get violent. You push the right button. I'll tell you what. It's going all that 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 teach and testify of is going right out the window, my friend. I'm just here to tell you, folks, that we need to understand you can't just make this thing fit what you want. This is a body, and everything we do affects each and every one of us. It affects us all, each and every one of us. There were things that, that Paul said that were permissible to him 
that he would so much of the love of God was in that man, he'd have, he said, I would be cut off. I don't know how you get to that place, folks. I am not there. I, I don't know how a man can get with so permeated with the love of Christ that he could say, I'd be a cast I'd cut, be cut off for the sake of these. That's something beyond any human comprehension that I can wrap my mind around. But I can tell you what. He said, I, I know that this is permissible, but I can't allow this to hinder my ministry to these people. Even if they're wrong about what they believe, I want to find a way to reach them. I want to find a way to win them. Folks, that's what love does. Are you listening to me? I said it prefers one another. But we got this attitude parading around on my on our platforms about this I mentality. It's all about me. It's all about that church don't recognize my anointing. I heard somebody say that. I, I want to say you don't have an anointing. That's why I wasn't recognized. But you know what? They found some other church that put them on the platform. Are you listening? They must have saw the anointing. I'm there to tell you it's not about you and it's not about me. It's about him and it's about his body. And then we need to come back to that reality. We need to come back to know that. It affects it all. Everything does. There's impact, brother. And things pile up in time. Those things that pile up have to be dealt with. Or the move of God is no doubt stopped and hindered. We cannot keep a move of God going if we're not willing to get things out of the way at times. I know as an evangelist preaching multiple meetings after meeting. Going from one church to the next and then back around even to the church again. That many moves of the Spirit do not continue. And the reason why they don't is because people allow things to pile up. And whenever God reveals a thing, He reveals it for one intent and purpose. And that's to get it out of the way. He wants to not show you just to be seen. He wants to show it you so you can get it out of the way. Are you hearing me? He wants to deal with it so he can get it out of the way. I believe that the hindrance to the move of God's continual flow is because we do not get rid of the things when they pop up. If God is to keep moving in any given church, I've seen great breakthroughs in revival meetings and church services along the trail. But I found it very difficult for those things to continue and there can be only one real explanation because this is a flow. That's why that the Spirit of God doesn't liken Himself to a lake or a pond. He likens Himself to a river because a river is a moving body of water. There's a flow to a river. It's not an ebb and flow. It's a flow. It's a flow of the Spirit. It comes from that throne room of grace. It doesn't come from a highly acclaimed ministry. It doesn't come from a denomination. It flows from the throne of Almighty God. And this river is to flow and sweep everything into it and take it to the eternal city where the Lamb is the light. I don't know about you, but I do not want to hinder the the flow of that spirit.
spirit in my life and I don't want to hinder it in God's people as well. There's a reason the scripture said grieve not the Holy Spirit because it's possible to do that. I want you to know that this flow of this river of God will take us into everlasting life and freedom. But if God is going to continue to move in a church then you know that it's because there's a continual dropping off of ourselves somewhere and that somewhere is the doye there has to be a removal of yourself for more of him to occupy this is a whole process of life you see if God is to keep moving they'll come and say pastor Jacob How is there such a flow at Victory Temple? He could only come to say, it's because we've been dropping some stuff off. Come on, somebody. Because we've been dropping some stuff off. We ain't carrying that. I've seen people tote their little baggage around their whole Christian life. And matter of fact, that's all that they're identified by. They're identified by their baggage. They don't know what they just, that's all they know is to carry that mess around. They're like that cartoon character on Charlie Brown, the kid that had the dust cloud around him. And everywhere he went, there was a dust cloud. That's all you could see. I've watched that a lot of times, brother. I mean, just a dust cloud around. The, the testimony of life. It's got, you know, that, that dust, what that dust chokes you out, doesn't it? Are you listening to me? I said the dust chokes you out. And the dust is food for the serpent. Because the curse of the serpent was to eat the dust of the ground. And whenever I'm walking with a cloud of dust, I've only provided food for the enemy. And I shouldn't wonder why he's knocking on my door all the time. Toting that little bag of burden around. Oh, there they are under the weight of their bag of burden. Either the word of God is true or it's not true. And Jesus said, my burden is light. I said, I'm heavy under the load. I God began to show me, you picked that up. I didn't give you that. You picked that up. If I would give you that burden, I'd be carrying it for you. It'd be light. I'm not saying you wouldn't feel it, but you'd know I'm carrying that thing. Are you listening? That's the difference in a burden you picked up or your devil planted there for you to get and something that God gave to you. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. That's what Jesus said. Amen. This is a life of freedom, folks. I want you to know that if we'll open up that gate again, we have a place to do something with it. Thank God he's provided something. I'm telling you that the continued flow of God's Spirit is a direct result of dropping things off. You see, when God reveals our bad attitudes, when He reveals that bitterness, whenever insecurity is revealed, and when anxiety and fear begin to raise their ugly heads, and when sin is made known in the life, you just need to let the devil know, I'm not going to carry this. I'm going to get this trash to the only place I can get some help. I'm going to get to the altar of God and I'm going to pray this thing through time's short to be carrying this around folks the sour pusses of religion have got to go I want you to know I'm talking about freedom tonight 
And in the case where we do not allow such to be the case, no doubt there'll be a pile of trash at mile high. No one can get to Jesus. They had to tear the roof off the thing just to get him to Jesus. Why? Who was occupying the doorway? A bunch of arguers. A bunch of religious people. The doctors. The lawyers of the law. What are they doing? They're blocked the door. They're out there arguing over something. And for a man to get healing to his friend, they had to rip the roof off, get him down there just to get to Jesus. See, that, that always piles up, folks. People from getting to the Lord. God is never can build upon spiritual waste and rubbish. I want you to know that God's will is for you to get these burdens out of your life. To get them out of our church and to get them out, no doubt, of our spiritual Jerusalem. Because we realize that the church was never called to be a spiritual hoarder and to hold on to everything. The church, you better hear me now, the church is not called to hoard up every ministry, every program, nor every person. Are you hearing me? If you and I try to hold on to things that the Lord wants to remove and take through that gate, then I can promise you it's going to back things up. And a lot of churches will try to hold on to everybody, but it's a hard truth to realize that there are some people that do not want to be held on to. You can love them, pray for them, even reach out to them, but there are some people that are going to have to go for you to truly do what God has called you to do. And if you're not careful, where there was once spiritual growth, life, and health, there will ultimately be stagnation, disease, and death. Could you imagine... What would have happened if Gideon would have tried to hold on to every person in his army? If God came to him and said, Gideon, I'm going to take 331,700 men from your army. And Gideon said, Lord, i got to have all 32,000. Gideon would have been overcome and he would have been defeated. I want to tell you, church, that I want everybody in the city of Beaumont to be a part of what God's doing here. But in this country and even in beyond. I want you to know that God, I believe the Lord wants to reach and to draw and to pull. And I want everybody. It's the heart of any preacher, any child of God. You want people to be a part. Brother, I'm telling you, your heart burns. If you're a pastor here tonight, you know you want your people to burn with that vision you burn with. You want them to have the burden you have. You want them to be behind the vision. You don't want, you want them to get along. And it's a discouraging thing when you always got to be fighting something to try to get anything for God ever done. We want everybody to be a part. I know I've been in that position before. My heart so desired every person in that house to catch the vision. But I realized by the Spirit of God that they all wasn't going. But God helped me when they walked out them doors. God gave me peace and liberty because the Lord so graced me with a governing truth. And He said, Jeremy, Jesus never lost one that the Father gave him and he said you'll never lose one that I gave you and I knew when they walked out those doors the father didn't give them to me 
Let me tell you something, folks. If you're, if you're a pastor, you know, you know who you're pastoring and who you're not. I didn't have to wonder about that. I knew who, who I was pastoring. And I knew who was just sitting there waiting for me to go. Or waiting, to, waiting. You know, they didn't want to just buck up and cause the problem. They wasn't bold enough to do that. They're just going to try to outlast me. Come on, somebody. Oh, aren't you sad that they left? No. I got that tenth spiritual gift to work in, Sister Sandy. It's called a gift of goodbye. I'm feeling my help right now. Y'all better pray for me. I'm feeling, I don't know if it's, you know, it's like that one man said, I can't tell if I'm angry or anointed. But I've just, I, I'm feeling something right now that's stirring deep. I'm wanting to preach right here. I'm, I'm going to try to move on. Hey, man, I got that, that gift of work. I know that's just a made, for all of you that don't really know the scripture, I just, that's a made up gift. That really ain't a gift. But you know, I, <laughs> it ain't 10 of them. They're just nine. Hey, man, just in case there's somebody that don't know all the gifts of the Spirit. I know we're on live stream. You never know who's watching. I'm just here to tell you. I, don't think I'm preaching heresy here. I'm just, I'm just making up. Just let me preach here. I'm just make my own. Miss my message, all right? And, and I just learned maybe there was another gift never was put down because that gift got to working, brother. And I said, my God, hallelujah! My old hand just went to waving as I went out the parking lot. Amen. I just knew. I, my God, I'm feeling the anointing right now. Amen. I'm just here to tell you what happened. God help me, brother, because I knew what was taken from me was just a hindrance to what God was a doing, friend. And the river could flow in power. I said, my God, there's a trend here. Every time they don't show up to church, we have a move of the Holy Ghost like we ain't never seen. I started putting the thing together. They missed move of the Holy Ghost. They're here. Terrible service. Total hindrance. They missed. We broke out in revival. I mean, the more that pattern went on, I thought, man, something to this. You know what I'm saying? I begin to realize something. Amen. There's a liberty in that, brother. There's, that's a grace of God that gave me that. That's the only thing. No man wants to see anybody go, folks. Nobody does. No shepherd does. It grieves them. You know what I'm saying? It, do, it does bother you. But I'm here to tell you only the grace of God can liberate you from knowing they just ain't a part of this work. Amen. That's all right. There's somewhere they can be a part. They can be happy. And that's what I want everybody to be. Are you listening? Just don't, don't be sour pussing around here. If you can be happy somewhere else and go there, by all means, it's work while it's day. Hey, let's just get on with what God wants to do. And it does hurt, friend. And that's why it takes the Lord to teach you stuff like that. He said, I've not lost one the Father's given me. God helped me with that, folks. He let me know every one he gave me. I was pastoring those people. But you see... As much as you want it, everybody won't. You did everything you could. You tried your best. Yeah, I'm, I just learned you, you can't pastor around Jezebel, folks. There's only one way to deal with her. You got to push her out the window. You got to let the dogs eat her up. There's no other way to deal with her. You can't pastor her. You can't coddle that thing around. Can't let it sing to keep it happy. Are you listening to me? I, I mean, you keep that thing happy. You, you know, okay, we're going to let sister so-and-so's going to act a fool if she don't get to sing tonight. Well, I can tell you what, that ain't no way to keep the flow of God going. You're just coddling the flesh and keeping nothing but a roadblock in your church, friend. I'm not saying this is easy, but I want you to know something. Sometimes things got to go. 
Hallelujah. Much as you want everybody, everybody's not going to come and everybody's not going to stay. You got to make up in your mind when they walk out those doors, if you're still going to be here preaching that same gospel, worshiping the same God, praying like you prayed, rejoicing in the Lord like you always rejoiced, are you going to around and act like a death happened? I want to tell you, Gideon knew that these men had to go for God to give the victory. B.H. Clendenin once said that he asked a pastor who pastored a great Pentecostal church, what is the key of success to have in such a great church? He said, outside of prayer, seek, you know, preaching the word of God and fast and so forth, what is the key? The man said to him, knowing who to let go. Dr. Tim Hill, general overseer of the church of God, said the church has two types of people, kissers and clingers. When time, times get tough and hot, some will kiss you goodbye and, and head out the door. But some will stick with you and cling to the vision, the plan, and the purpose of God. I've learned that if you're not careful, 5% of the people will consume 95% of your energy. That doesn't mean you don't love them. That doesn't mean you don't you don't reach for them but it just means you don't let them zap every ounce of divine energy you have and to make you ineffective for the other 95% of the people I've learned everybody's not committed but I'm preaching to the ones that are I learned to just realize act like them people ain't even there brother let them fold their hands let them clip their fingernails let them do what they want to do but I'm preaching to hungry people there come a time in my ministry I got tired dealing with the carnality and I said God I want to preach to hungry people these people ain't going to change you can hit them right upside the head with the word of God and they're going to carry on I said I want to preach to some hungry people hallelujah hallelujah I want to feed the flock of God and I begin to fix my eyes on the people that are hungry oh that's a great word preacher oh pastor I was so stirred by the word of God thank you for preaching the word Thank you for serving God. Thank you. I'm telling you, that's who you got to fix your eyes upon. Every once in a while, God will just give you one or two of them, but that's enough to keep you going, folks. I said, that's enough to keep you going. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You see, I love the more that you move forward, the more that I've learned the truth of this principle and scripture of the, the truth of the word of God, rather. And that is if God be for you. Come on now. I've seen it, folks. I'm telling you, if God's for you. Oh, yeah. It don't matter what's said, brother, behind closed doors. You know what I learned? You want to learn? You want to know what I learned? <laughs> Hallelujah. Good. Sometime, the only way out is the cross. That cross, that hurts, don't it? The Bible says he said, he said not a word, Brother Roger. God said, you don't got to defend nothing, son. He said, you keep that mouth shut. And oh, I'm telling you, I'm about to, I'm about to run through here. That sometime the only way out is the cross. That's death, brother. That's dying. And Jesus didn't come off that cross. He stayed till what? It is 
Oh, that, that sometimes can hurt, brother. But you're going to stay there. Son, you're going to stay there till it's finished. And you know what? You can't say nothing. Oh, no. You ain't saying a word. You're going to stay there till it's finished. But here's what I learned. You know what's on the other side of that cross, don't you? You know what's on the other side of that cross? Resurrection, brother. And I realized why Jesus didn't have to speak a word. It's because resurrection was going to do all the talking for him. I said, resurrection will do all the talking for you. Hallelujah. I said, let resurrection do your talking. Glory to God. Somebody give him praise if you believe it here. Set that by My God, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, magnify the Lord. I said resurrection. <laughs> Woo. I said resurrection, do all the talking, friend. Hallelujah. You won't got to say nothing, friend. You just keep on going. Are you listening to me? It'll testify for itself. Hallelujah. I found the way God knows how to make even your enemies be at peace with you, my friend. If you stay true to him. If you don't try to intervene yourself. I'm telling you the problem with the modern church is we've tried to hold on to every tear, every wolf, and every reprobate. Churches are filled with homosexuals. Sexuals, adulterers, pedophiles, and worldly religious people. And no matter how much the glory of God falls, you still have those people that find cobwebs under every seat and in every corner. And it's all because nobody wanted to open up the dung gate. And if you tried to, they tried to deal with you over it. But friend, I've just learned that you got to let the thing go. you got to move it out if you're going to move in freedom. I don't let them kids go in every Sunday school around this country. Oh, no. Folks, I live too long. I've seen too much. I've seen more than you want to see. Are you listening? Amen. They ain't going over to everybody's house. I don't care how and how high and holy they say they are. Amen. Those are my babies, and I've seen too much. I've seen too much. Shouldn't have been seen. Shouldn't have been happening. But it was happening. Are you listening to me? said it was happening right under the noses of spiritual people. But you know what? It's greater deception than anything at flesh and blood element. Oh, yeah, it's grandpa. It's mama. It's cousin. Are you listening to me? Of course that's who it is. That's who it always is. Usually, it inflicts the wounds on other people. But see, we're so deceived by that flesh and blood element. We're so, we're so deceived, folks. We can't break that earthly attachment. There's a reason why Jesus said, your foes will be of your house. See, we don't like to talk about this part of the scripture, do we? We don't like to talk. We'd rather just, you know, just mess it all, just melt it pot all together. It ain't all go together. It don't go together, folks. I, I ain't getting along with everything. The Word of God. And I'm not getting along and I'm not apologizing for not getting along. And that flesh and blood element creates greater deception than anything. We can't leave that earthly attachment. But I've learned this. That Word of God is a sword that divides soul and spirit. 
And I'm telling you, folks, I've seen that sword come. And I'm telling you, that sword comes, it separates. It, it's, it divides. For Jesus said, I didn't come. He said, I come to set them at variance against one another. Why? It don't matter if it's mama, daddy, brother, or sister or not. If they're carnal, if they're soulish, and if they ain't going all the way with God, that sword's going to have to come. And no matter how much you try to keep it together, if you're going the way of God, there's going to come a sword somewhere. I'm not preaching to you something, folks. It's the Word of God, and it's not a theory. It's a reality. I've walked in this reality. I've walked in this reality. The sword of the Lord is a divider. But friend, this is eternity for me. Oh yeah. I ain't riding no coattail to hell. I can promise you that. I don't care if it messes up Thanksgiving or not. See, there's a reason why stuff's so piled up. Nobody wants to open that gate. I can hear the voices. I know the accusations. So let me give you the word of God. Jesus didn't try to hold on to everybody. We like to talk about how he would leave the 99 and find the one. And thank God he does do that. I'm so glad that he's willing to find that lost sheep. He is that kind of a shepherd. Aren't you glad that he is? He brings us in. But may we also not fail to forget that he allows the rich young ruler to go away sorrowfully. Remember him? He couldn't, he couldn't quite pay the price. But Jesus don't t- change criteria for following him. It doesn't matter if they've kept some of the law or not. It doesn't matter if they got money. It doesn't matter if they're upstanding in the community or not. He's not putting them on the board. He's not making them an usher. Are you listening? He's not putting them to teach Sunday school. He said, come and follow me. What must I do to inherit eternal life? I've kept this. I've kept that. Sell all you have and follow me. I know there's not really a rest to the story. We just know that he, it's all we know. He went away sorrowfully, and Jesus let him walk. Oh, brother, they preach so hard down there at that church. Jesus is a hard man. He wants you to give up everything. Come to our church. We love you down there. I mean, you keep most of the commandments. You know, you keep the most of them. You got money. Upstanding in the community. Come on, you can. You can. Maybe if you hang around us long enough, it'll rub off on you. Maybe if you come to church for a few weeks, you'll want to give it all. Ain't how this works, folks. That is not how this works. Jesus said, if any man come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And he that chooses to save his life will lose it. But he that loses his life for my sake, he will find it. And the criteria is still the same. You pay it all or you get nothing. 
2023, 1903, 1803, it doesn't matter. His words have never changed. Jesus, you just going to let him walk? Oh, yeah. He's gone. You can't meet the criteria, folks. You can't come on his terms. We don't come. He let the man walk. What about the disciples in John chapter number 6? Eat my flesh, drink my blood. Boy, he had the multitudes. He was so famous. Thousands upon thousands, hundreds of thousands. They say, we're following everywhere. He's healing everybody. The crowds, he's feeding the crowd. He's healing the multitude. He begins to talk spiritual things they couldn't understand. And I'll tell you what, they all began to leave him that day, didn't they? The message got too hard. Oh, we're going to go get another church. Come on. We find somebody that tone it down a little bit. You know what Jesus did? He looked at the 12 and he said, will you go away also? It's up to you. You going to? Ball's in your court. Peter said, where are we going to go? You've got the words of eternal life. I'm not going anywhere. I don't care who goes. I don't care if I understand or don't understand. Jesus said, my words are spirit and they are life. And there's something in that spiritual man that is saying, yes, Lord. It's you talking. It's you. I don't get it. But there's a witness in my spirit. And my only hope in this hour is that people that are deceived by this watered down religion of this hour will hear the clarion call again that they will hear the voice that I heard they will hear the voice that I heard that something stands up and says this is the way walk ye in it come out of your sleep there's vacuum in this world men of God men that stood in this pulpit are you listening to me? There's a vacuum. I watched this thing for years. There, I said, my God, where's the voice of the soldier in this hour? Where is that voice? That when you heard it, all hands are on deck at attention. There wasn't this mealy mouth and limp-wristed, milk-toast attitude limping around. There's a voice that told us where to go. And now everybody's going in a thousand directions because there is no voice. I said, God, help me be that. Help me, God, so that those I love that I know have gone another way can somehow, if there's something in their spirit, hear that voice again and their flesh may resist it. But something in them is saying, preach to me, preacher. Preach me out of here. Preach me into victory again. I'm telling you, friend, we need the voice of clarity again in this hour. And everybody won't be wandering around believing everything. They'd have hung me from a, I mean, it, Brother Roderick, if that, half the stuff, I mean, this promoted in this hour. I'm not talking about some realm I'm not been touched by. I, I'm telling you. But things, they wouldn't allow that. All of a sudden, no, that ain't going here. You do, we're dealing with you. 
Not they were there because they loved me. Thank God that they did. But we just allow whatever. Are you hearing me? They just allow whatever. But Jesus said that if you're not for me, you're against me. Everybody is not for Jesus. And everyone is not for the vision of God. And everyone is not for the vision that the pastor of this church nor any other church that any pastor is called to may have. And those people you just got to let go. There comes a point. You get an opportunity, folks. You either get on or you get off. There comes that, folks. It's too late, folks. It's too late in the hour. I can assure you. I want nobody outside of a dung gate. But I can promise you, everybody is not going to be a part of what God's doing. I've done it long enough to know. And we can't water things down and cater to personal preferences, nor can we give place to those that are stuck in religious ruts. Jesus told 500 to tarry in Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father, but only 120 were present when the day of Pentecost had fully come. But I want you to know that the 120 did not let that discourage them from being at the prayer meeting, from being at Sunday school. It did not discourage them for staying faithful to the Lord. Though none go with me, still I will follow. They never stopped worshiping. They never stopped seeking. They never stopped magnifying God. Are you hearing me? You can't just be discouraged by who walks if it's your own spouse. You can't be afraid by who walks. Sometimes you have to let people go. Sometimes you have to let obligations go. Sometimes you have to allow friendships to go if you're going to move forward with God. But when you try to hold on to it, you're a hindrance to yourself and everybody else. We cannot afford to lose momentum because somebody gets off at the dung gate. Because I got something to finish this up with. It's going to help you. How many give me five more minutes here? I said I'm going to finish up with something wonderful. Because I've learned as you study the gates of Jerusalem and Nehemiah's day. That you can't allow yourself to lose momentum at the dung gate. Because just around the bend there's something called a fountain gate. Oh my. I said there's something called a fountain gate. You see the 120 by not allowing their praise to be defined by the 380 that got off at the dung gate and they continued on. They were touched by a river folks that flowed from heaven's throne. That river flowed into that 120. What is that? That fountain gate was opened up and I tell you they begin to drink from streams of living water. It don't end at the dung gate brother. I said it don't end at the dung gate. There's a location for us. We pass through around that corner and I want you to know that that dung gate if you look at it it's at the southernmost part of the city and as you jot to the right it's just a short distance around the corner till you get to that fountain gate. When you look at the progression of that city and through those gates you find out that the dung gate was actually situated just after the valley gate so you have the valley gate the dung gate and the fountain gate I want you to hear this tonight because I know that we will pass through every one of them Nehemiah knew that the dung gate situated after the valley gate was no doubt strategic of the Lord because valleys have a way of revealing 
bring trash and rubbish and undesirable things in our life. Nothing brings out the rubbish of life like a long valley. One commentary said this, there's quite a bit of distance between the valley and the dung gate, meaning that unfortunately, valley experiences can continue for some time. Oh yes, you know about that, don't you? But the result of that experience is clearly seen in the next gate, the dung gate. This is where the rubbish is removed and this is what happens in our own life. Valley experiences are used by the Lord to clear the rubbish so that the true faith refined by fire can come forth and produce fruit. Clearing away the rubbish in our lives is never easy, but the benefits of the experience can be seen in the next gate. Hallelujah. Listen, you and I will realize at the end of a long valley there have been a lot of things revealed. We don't have to be discouraged though. Are you hearing me? You don't have to be discouraged, folks. We've all got some trash. Are you hearing me? I said we all got some trash that comes to the surface, but I learned I didn't have to be discouraged because I didn't have to hold on to that trash for very long because God give me somewhere to put the mess. You don't have to hold on to it for a long time. There's a place to can give it. You can put it. The valley can reveal a lot and we're often not as holy as what we think we are. But I can promise you when you go through the valley, no doubt fear, pride, selfishness, insecurity, bitterness, strife, envy, jealousy, all these things potentially can be revealed. But if you hold on a little longer, friend, there's an experience. I've been picking up some trash before. I spend a lot of time in the vehicle. I got kids and I got a wife, this OCD that keeps it clean most of the time. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's no slide. I mean, she keeps the thing clean is what I'm saying. I mean, really clean. You know what I'm saying? I mean, you get up, go to the bathroom at night and you come back and your bedside's made. I mean, before you even got it in, I thought, man, I thought she was asleep. I get back, my side of the bed's done made. I mean, that's just just in her DNA. I mean, she keeps the thing clean. You know what I'm saying? Because you know what? I, I'm thankful for them little receptacles at the gas station. I'm glad they put those there because right when I open that door to get the gas, there's a trash can. You know what that is? That's a dung gate, brother. And I've been picking up Chick-fil-A and pimento sandwiches, uh, Sister Kelly, or uh, whatever, French fries and drinks and trash and napkins and mess. But I'm thankful when I open the door by God there's a place to dump it off there's somewhere to leave it give the Lord a hand clap of praise for it <clears throat> sister Carolyn as you come but I want to tell you it don't just end at the dung gate look up for yourself Nehemiah Jerusalem Nehemiah's day look where are the gates I'm telling you it ain't a hop skip and a jump now that valley gate's a ways down you hit the dung you go due north, about a jot to the left, and you know where you are? Fountain Gate. Oh, I wish you was hearing me tonight. Because ain't nothing you're going to need more, Brother Roger, when you emptied yourself. And a fresh drink. Oh, my. Amen. His old heart can be ugly, folks. I'm glad God... Just loves me enough. Let it come out. Oh, 
God showed me something. He said, I'm putting you in situations and in circumstances to show you where you're not free. Oh, I wanted to blame the devil. He said, oh, no. I'm showing you where you're not free. It's going to get ugly, son. But I got you somewhere to put that nastiness. Oh, yeah. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? There's an old rugged cross. (laughs) There's a place to lay it down, brother. No matter how nasty you've been. There's a place, no matter what kind of mess you created, there's still a place. Lay that mess down. Get it right. You can get it right. Isn't that wonderful? You can get the thing right. And God ain't going to leave you empty. Keep on going. And there's a fountain. A river whose streams make glad the city of God. You can drink from that river tonight. Come on, stand with me. Oh, hallelujah. I'm so thankful. Folks, I want to tell someone here tonight, I know you're going through a long valley. A lot of stuff's coming out. But God's giving you somewhere to put the stuff tonight. And what I want to tell you, because I know I'm talking to you, It may seem like everything is going downhill for you. But if you'll stay the course. If you'll drop off at that dung gate. You make that that corner. There's a fountain waiting on you. I want to tell someone tonight. Do not base your future. On your present valley. You may feel like you're going downward, but I promise you, everything goes upward after the Dungate, friend. Things are going to turn around for you if you'll stay the course. Paul said, Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, whom I've suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. Paul wasn't saying that everything. That if his life was done, but he just said, compared to Christ, it's done. (laughs) And I want to tell you tonight, as you continue to walk with God, you won't just make this journey. You're going to continue to circle your whole Christian life. You'll pass every gate. But here's what I've learned. The more Jeremy Prohaska gets off every time I pass the Dungate, less of me means more of him. Come on, lift your hands here tonight. Thank God for His Word. You can't feel any worse, folks, when you're at the dung gate, but I tell you that fountain is around the corner. Oh, hallelujah. Here tonight, God's talking to you. I want to invite you into this altar tonight. There's a place to drop it off, brother. Come on, let's leave it all behind, and let's lift up our hands for a fresh drink. Of the rivers of living water. Come on, some of you need a fresh drink tonight. You just say, Brother Jeremy, I've just been emptying everything out. And I just need God to fill me up. In the name of Jesus. Come on, drop it off tonight, saint. And look to the Lord for a fresh anointing. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. 
Come on, let's press in tonight. Let's believe God one for another. Oh, thank God forevermore.